I trace my spiritual heritage back to my grandfather, my mother's father. Um, and I want to just share just a little bit of that this morning. And I want you to think in your own life, where does my spiritual heritage trace back to? Um, since I'm the preacher, I get to tell my story. Uh, my grandfather Roberts, Frank Roberts, was born in 1886. That seems really old. I'm one of the youngest, my mother was the youngest, and then I'm one of the youngest of the grandkids. But my grandfather was born in 1886. He marries my grandmother, Zelma. Good, solid name if anybody's looking for a good girl name these days. Um, they married in 1923. And I don't know the details, but I know that a short time before uh, Zelma and Frank married, that my grandfather was saved and his life was dramatically changed. And so then he marries, he meets and marries my grandmother. And they have five kids that they raise in church and they're living the life uh, that Christ would want them to live. And then there's 20 grandchildren. And that Christian heritage was passed down to us. Uh, and I would say today that the reason I'm standing here is because of what God did in Frank Roberts' life, what occurs to me is 100 years ago. If they married in 23, I know it was a short time, it may have been 1921 that my grandfather was saved. It just occurred to me as I was thinking about this, it's like, wow, 100 years ago. Uh, and I'm a little bit of the effect of what God did in Frank Roberts' life. Uh, I went through our family tree and his descendants, and there are 16 of us that have been or are in ministry of his descendants. There are 16 of us that are either pastors, staff members, missionaries. Uh, I know that there are six of us of his descendants that are full-time pastors presently. Some of them are retired now, and two of those people are in this room, Byron being the other one. Um, but I thought about that, and I thought how surely my grandfather in 1921 had no idea what his choice to follow Jesus would mean not just in his family's lives but in so many other lives and really uh, stretching many parts of the world um, this fall we're in the book of Zechariah and I want to talk about my main point today because it comes up in Zechariah chapter 2. And it is this that uh, our present obedience uh, stretches into the future and is amplified 
for God's glory. Our, our present obedience stretches to the future. Uh, and is amplified for the glory of God. Uh, now, the children of Israel knew the, the negative side of that principle. There's a, the other side of the coin is that our present disobedience stretches into the future and is amplified uh, not for God's glory, but uh, for not God's glory, whatever that word is. Um, the children of Israel, when we come to Zechariah's words, know they had lived the discipline of God. They had, three generations before, their hearts had departed from God, and they had become disobedient from God, and God's discipline came on His people. And we've talked in these terms, and I need you to see these categories today because it comes into our, our verses in Zechariah chapter 2. That in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham, He says, I'm going to give you three things. You can look at this in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. He said, I'm going to give you many people. I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to give you a blessing. I'm going to give you people, a land, and a blessing. When the discipline of God comes, they lose that. The people are scattered. They lose control of the land. And the blessing, the hand of God on their lives is gone. And the punishment, the discipline of God was 70 years in exile. And so, uh, before we get to the happy clappy point today, we got to get to the other point that says we have to understand that our present disobedience stretches into the future and is amplified. There's a, there's a, in fact, in fact, there's a generational effect of the lives that we live right now, whether good or bad. The Jewish people in Zechariah's day knew the negative example of that, the negative side of that. When he speaks to them, though, in Zechariah chapter 2, he speaks to them about the positive side of this, that their obedience in the present projects out into the future and is amplified for the glory of God. He gives Zechariah a vision to give to the people. And I want to read that and I want to continue to talk about today. And if this is your first Sunday, I'll, um, I can't catch you all the way up. But the title that I've chosen for these sermons is The Glory in Small Things. And if uh, you're going to see that this Sunday, that in our obedience in the present, in the small things that God has called us to do, God brings about glory that has a future component, but He amplifies it 
in the future, what we do now. And so this is, this is a vision, and um, it says in Zechariah 2, and we're going to read 13 verses. We're going to read all of chapter 2. He said, Then I raised up my eyes, and I looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall join to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people." And I will dwell in your midst, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Uh, understand today the significance of this vision to the people that... Zechariah would have spoken it to. Understand that we, I have said that the only way we can understand the message of Zechariah is, is to understand the, uh, the historical setting of Zechariah. So the children of Israel have come back from exile. God said, build the temple for two years with great enthusiasm. They built the temple, but uh, life happens uh, kingdom politics change, the economy is downturned, there is opposition by the people in the land, and for 14 years they stop doing what God has called them to do until Haggai and Zechariah come to exhort them to do the work that God has called them to do. And Zechariah begins to project that into the future. I want you to see today that the task right before the children of Israel, what God has asked them to do is to rebuild the temple. But when God begins this vision, He wants them to begin to see that what He is going to do is beyond the temple. That's, that's the big thing I need you to see today. Yes, what was right in front of them? Build the temple. God said, though, but you've got to see that your obedience in this present pro project it's going to project into the future, and I'm going to amplify it in a way that cannot be imagined. And it will be for my glory. Their obedience was more than just the temple. 
God was going to do something on a grander scale. And it related to the, the three aspects of the covenant. The people, the land, and the blessing. And so, uh, the vision in verses 1 and 2, uh, it says, Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Um, so the vision of what Zacharias sees is a man who has, uh, Jody, I don't know what this looks, I don't know what a measuring line is. Think about Melvin, some of you guys in construction. I, I would think of a tape measure today if we were, if there's a guy with, but this is bigger than a tape measure because he's measuring like a city. So it, it's, it's got to be some kind of string or something. But this man, it, it's, it's, here's a man, and obviously he's involved in construction. He has, he has some kind of measuring line that's going to be used to measure a city. That's what uh, Zachariah sees. Uh, he could be a surveyor, he could be an architect, he could be a construction worker, it's not really known. This man is involved in the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. He's laying out plans maybe for the new city. Now it's interesting in the other apocalyptic literature, uh, we see a man with a measuring line in his hand. We see it in Ezekiel chapter 40. We see it in Revelation chapter 11. Once again, apocalyptic literature, uh, the heavenly curtain is pulled back. That which is hidden is exposed. And you see that God gives visions of uh, what he is doing in the spiritual realm to encourage us in the earthly realm. We see that uh, Zechariah of course, has a long section, chapters 1 through 6 of apocalyptic literature. We see it in Daniel. We see it in Ezekiel. We see it in the book of Revelation. You see that in verse 2 that he's on the move. So I said, where are you going? So the man is on the move. And he said to me to measure Jerusalem to see what is its width and what is its length. And so the man is on the move. Verse 3 uh, the two angels that have appeared in chapter 1 uh, meet Zechariah there. Verse 3, and there was, these are distinct angels that he's seen previously, and there was the angel who talked with me, you can see that in, in chapter 1, uh, going out. And then, but secondly, notice, and another angel coming out to meet him. Now this doesn't become evident, but it applies, it, it is significant to what I what the story, the vision is about. There is an angel who, in essence, is a guide. He is walking around with Zechariah in these visions. But there is another angel in chapter 1 who is described as the angel of the Lord, which I would contend is a, is a pre-incarnate Jesus, uh, Jesus before he has come in the flesh. And it is the angel of the Lord that always factors in here and the angel of the Lord knows the answers. The other angel is just walking around and going, well, let's see what this is all about then. Okay, it's like this guy knows what this is about and he turns to the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord explains it because the angel of the Lord knows and is authoritative. And so you see that uh, in verse 3. And he says in verse 4, Who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, the construction guy, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. 
Verse 5, for I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. So when I, my sermon series uh, is the glory of small things, I, I think this is the first time the word glory appears uh, in the book of Zechariah, and it's very significant. What we begin to see, what, what the angel of the Lord explains is that God is going to restore everything that discipline, the discipline of God took away. Remember those three things? It is about the people, the land, and it is about the blessing. And what he describes in, in 4 and 5 is that God is going to restore the city of Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, there will be so many people, the walls will not contain the people and the animals that are in Jerusalem. And so it also leads to the second part of the covenant with God. The land will be ex expanded because the walls will not be large enough. And then thirdly, God is going to restore the blessing. There will be glory uh, that will be in that place. In fact, God says, and this is significant, I will be the glory in her midst. I want you to see that when God begins to look to the future, there is a future restoration of all that discipline has taken away. But this is what is even more significant. It's not just that God restores, but God amplifies when he restores. This is, this is really a significant point today. It's not just that God's going to give you people. God's not going to just restore the number of people that you had. No, 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 no. No, the city's not going to be able to hold these people. So he's amplifying it. It's not just that God's going to give you land. We're going to see this in just a minute. No, God's land will not just be the promised land. God is talking about a kingdom that is worldwide. But even, I love this point, of the blessing. It's not just that God is going to bring glory to that place. God says, I will be the glory in that place. And if you, you see this sense of glory in verse 5 when he says, For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. The, the picture is of there's no, going to be no reason for a wall because the presence of God will be the wall. Now, visually, you've got to get this. And it relates to the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament. Uh, let me see if I can remember all of this. Uh, when they build the tabernacle in the wilderness, this is in the book of Exodus, and they establish that tabernacle, Moses records, I, I wanted some neat sound effects like, that's like something else though, that's not the sound. I don't know what sound I'm, it's like, I don't know what the Shekinah glory of God going over a place sounds like. I, I'm sorry. I was dropped on my head as a child. No. Uh, but what the Hebrews described is the Shekinah glory of God came 
and went to the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And that when hundreds of years later, when Solomon built the temple, uh, the, the permanent temple, so not the tent anymore, the Hebrews recorded that the Shekinah glory of God came and dwelt in the Holy of Holies. This is significant because what Ezekiel said is that before the Babylonians came, Ezekiel has apocalyptic vision. The curtains pulled back. You know what Ezekiel sees? He sees the Shekinah glory of God lifting off of the Holy of Holies and exiting out the eastern gate of the Temple Mount. The Shekinah glory of God is gone before the Babylonians came and destroyed the temple and everything else. The prophecy is that the Shekinah of glory of God will come back. So the people will be amplified. The land will be amplified. But, but here it is. The glory will be amplified. Because the glory of God will not be contained in the holy of holies of the new temple. No. What does he describe? The Shekinah glory of God will be like a wall. It will spread out as far as God's people were. Do you get it? It used to be centralized in the holy of holies. God said, no, when I begin to look out in the future, the glory is going to be amplified in such a way that the presence of God will be glory all around uh, his people. Um, and so what God describes in these verses is that what will be amplified in the future will be beyond, will be grander than the past. The city will be without walls, even though they would have dreamed if we could just establish a city with walls. This goes beyond Nehemiah, who's about 80 years later, that he will be re rebuild the wall. God says, no, 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 keep looking out because what I'm talking about is beyond that. Um, it, project, it projects further into the future and that when the glory returns, the presence of God will be like a wall of fire. Uh, and we don't think about God being a fire, but Hebrews tells us he is a consuming fire. But invariably, when the children of Israel experienced God in the Old Testament, it was as a, as a fire. So when Moses is at the burning bush, God is a fire. When God's presence is known to the children of Israel as they wander in the wilderness, he is a pillar of fire. They've experienced this. But Zechariah begins to say the day will come that the glory will not be contained in the Holy of Holies. It will be beyond that. Do you understand that God begins to project out into the future and everything becomes amplified, the people, the land, and the glory. Everything is on a, 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 a grander scale Within the context of Zechariah, don't miss the point of what this would have meant to the people. God was saying to them, you're building a temple, but what I'm going to do is far grander than the temple. 
There will be a city. There will be a land. There will be people. And you will experience the glory of God as you've never experienced it before. There's an interesting point here. Not from the Bible, but the rabbis between the Old Testament and the New Testament. When the rabbis wrote about this time, and when they finished the temple four years after this, the rabbis made two notes. There were two things that did not return to that temple that had been in the first temple. One was, one was the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know what the rabbis also said didn't return? The Shekinah glory of God. There was never an experience where after they built the temple, they stood there and they saw the outward visible manifestation of the presence of God come into that place. (laughs) You say, well, why? Because when God projects out in the future, there is something grander that He will do. You see, when the story begins to project out from here, hundreds of years later, the fulfillment of the glory of God coming to that place was not, and and theologically, I don't have time for this this morning, uh, theologically, Uh, The Shekinah glory of God has to be the presence of the Holy Spirit, an outward manifestation. The same effect on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God comes, they saw Him coming in tongues of fire. So when we talk about the Shekinah glory of God, technically, theologically, in Trinitarian theology, what we're saying is, yes, God sits on His throne in heaven, but His, His Spirit resides on earth in the Holy of Holies. And so when we talk about the Shekinah glory of God, that's what we we talk about technically. But what God said is the Spirit's not going to return. What God begins to say, in, in fact, in these later verses, He says, I am going to return. It is not going to be my Spirit. It is going to be me that shows up, which is fulfilled in the Messianic figure who becomes Jesus And His glory is known. Think about it as the story unfolds. And so 500 years later, the Messiah, uh, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, comes in His glory to the temple of that place and begins to fulfill this. It's even grander than that. And you push out the story, and after Jesus is crucified and raised from the dead, um, 50 days later on on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God is poured out. Where does the Spirit of God reside? Do you understand this is grander? Not in the Holy of Holies because the veil's been rent. No, the Spirit of God falls on all of God's people. It's like tongues of fire that spread out. It's on on a grander scale. The Spirit of God is poured out and the church begins to expand out. How far does the church expand out? To the Jewish people? Is God just restoring His people that He called? Uh, The Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham? No. No, God says take, Jesus says take this gospel into all the nations. And so all of a sudden the blessing... The presence of God expands out not from 
The Jewish people who are like 0.1% of the world's population today. Maybe smaller than that, actually. No, in the 2,000 years since Jesus, the church has taken the gospel into all the nations. And what did Jesus say? When will he come again? When all the nations have heard. Why? Because the blessing of Abraham, what he said in Genesis 3 is that I will bless you and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you understand that that what God did in His covenant with the Jewish people pertaining to the people, the land, and the blessing, when you project it out in the future, it begins to amplify in a way to God's glory that all the peoples of the world will know what God has done. It projects out to the future. You go to, in the apocalyptic literature, and we're not there yet, to the second coming of Jesus. You project it out from there to a millennial kingdom of a thousand-year reign of Christ. You project it on out all the way to heaven, the final heaven, in which all of God's children will be gathered in that place. In fact, Revelation 7, 9 says, when you looked around the throne, there were people from every tribe, every language, every ethnic group were standing before the throne praising God. Because the blessing wasn't just about this. It was about this. And he describes that here in these final verses. And let me close with this. Um, He says in verse 6, the angel of the Lord says this, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord. For I have spread you abroad like the four winds of the heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Zion. He calls them back, the people, to the land, because the people are part of the covenants. But it goes beyond that. He says in verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory. I'm going to tell you in these verses, and Byron's going to preach next Sunday, and it's going to become more evident, because I'm going to make it evident this week before he preaches about what chapter 3 is all about. The, gr- the grammar here is confusing because the angel of the Lord at times is speaking as God Himself and then He's talking about me whom the Lord of hosts sent. And you go, dude, what, what? The grammar does not make sense until you factor in Trinitarian theology And the Lord of hosts begins to send. He's sending this messianic figure. And so you see that somewhat in verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me, who is me. I'm sorry. Sing, verse 10, and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. I thought the Lord of hosts was sending someone else. Well, he is, but it's me. I am coming. I will be the glory in that place. It will not be the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. It will be God himself. In verse 11, and let me just close with this. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. 
No, the blessing, as you project it out into the future, that God will not only come to the nations for judgment, but He will also come for salvation, and those people will be included in the covenant, and the Shekinah glory of God will dwell in that place. Uh, Oh, in verse 10, when he says, I will dwell in your midst, the Hebrew word for dwell is the word we get for Shekinah. The Shekinah glory of God is the dwelling presence of God. And it all connects, even when you get to Jesus and you project out further, because uh, one of my favorite verses of Scripture, John 1.14, John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a Hebrew word. That's a Greek word. But if you go back, it's the Hebrew word Shekinah. He dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And even though Jesus came in His glory, His glory will be known in the second coming in the millennial kingdom in all of glory in all of heaven. And God, as you project it out further, amplifies it more and more. And the people and the land and the blessing amplify in a greater and greater way. So what is the implication? The implication is this for the people of Zechariah's day for us today. And this is it. God is working a grander plan. And you and I are only a small part of that grander plan. The people in Zechariah's day, God said, build the, build the temple. And the vision was, I'm going to blow this thing up in a way you, you can't even imagine in your minds. But I need you right now. I need your present obedience to be a part of that by building the temple. And God said, I'm going to do something so amazing. Your mind cannot even comprehend it. Understand two things. That your present obedience is only a small part of God's bigger plan. But secondly, you got to get this. Your obedience in the presence matters. That was the implication for the people of Zechariah's day. If you are not obedient in building the temple... God's going to come up with another plan. He does not have to use you. But if you want to be about something that is beyond our imagination, do that small thing that God has set right before you. I don't know what that is for you. But don't despise the day of small things. If that is your family, if that is your work, whatever, whatever God wants to do in creating in you or through you, don't dismiss it because it, you say it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Because if day by day you'll put the bricks on the temple, God said someday I'm going to do something that's more amazing than you can imagine. Your present obedience projects into the future and is amplified for the glory of God. Father, today I pray that we would believe 
what you have told us and we would be diligent about what you have set before us. Father, whatever it is that you want to do in us, whatever you want to do through us, I pray that we would be faithful to do that small thing. And that, Father, you would take it by your power and you would use it for the future and you would amplify it, Father, for your glory. And we trust that to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.